Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I want to get straight into my interview this week. It's a great one. It's with Tony Scott. You know him from 96.3 R&B. He is a really amazing person on top of being a super, super talented radio personality. So let's get into it. Uh, Testing one, two, three, four, five. Sounding amazing because it's Tony Scott. (laughs) Tony, thank you so much for coming on the Rachel Zimmerman Show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate whenever I... Uh, announced or, you know, here at the station, we announced that we were launching the show back in like September. We had a, an all work happy hour and you came up to me and congratulated me. I and did. that really meant the world to me I coming did. from a legend like yourself. Well, like it was you saying that, really but, cool. But I, I, you know what? I'm for anybody who uh, takes the step that you took to do this show solo and stuff like that. That's, ama- that's an amazing thing, especially, I mean, to do like I come from music radio. So to come from music radio is one thing because you have 10, 12 songs an hour, but it's you for the whole hour minus commercials. <laughs> that's a that's a big footstep to take, and, and, you, and you did it. Well, they, well, that's why I rely on people like yourself to come in and help me <laughs> fill some time. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> so, Tony, tell me about yourself uh, whenever you were a kid. What was your childhood like? I had a great childhood. We, we, were, we were not rich, but we were not poor. Uh, grew up with two sisters and my mom and dad, and we was in Galveston, Texas. And we just moved my mom to Sacramento with my sister. Uh, so the house that I grew up in, she lived in for 61 years. She just moved out of it and we just sold it. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was a great childhood. My, my father had this philosophy that, and he told me this after my first daughter was born. He says, let stay a child as long as you can, because you'll be an adult way longer than you'll be a child. And he used to say, being an adult is not fun. <laughs> so so there was that, you know, but I played baseball. Baseball's always been a, a love for me. And and I grew up on a beach. Wow. Very so cool. So that was kind of cool. And uh, it was it was it's interesting though because I was I was like, I don't know, maybe ten years old before I realized that not everybody had the same setup at home that I had, right? I went over to a friend of mine's house and his father didn't live with him. His parents were not together, and I thought everybody's parents were together. I mean, I'm naive. I didn't know. You know, I just—and to find that out was kind of eye-opening, that not everybody lives like I do. Yeah. And it took me many, many—it took me decades to realize that, you know, I should have more empathy and actually appreciate more of what I got and what I had when I grew up and what I have now, so with my family. Yeah, so I want to get back to that. But when did you realize you wanted to be behind a microphone? 
I was a kid. I remember going down Broadway in Galveston, and there was a radio station. It was KILE 1400, and they play a song. And I thought the I thought the band, the group playing on the radio, was actually at the studio. Oh. So I would tell my mom, "Take me by there, right?" And she says, "It doesn't work that way." So, <laughs> and then we were at some place one time, and they were doing a live remote with this with the, with the DJ, you know, live remotes from somewhere, and and. Uh, I was just intrigued with theater of the mind and painting pictures with words and that kind of thing. And then I realized this particular DJ that I saw, he was uh, in a wheelchair. And I realized when, how that struck me was then anybody can do this, right? And here I'm like 11 years old. And so I was always intrigued by that, painting pictures with words and storytelling and all that kind of stuff like that. But I was, I was wickedly shy. I was shy, I mean... Anyone but see my feet. I was that shy, right? Mm. I was just, you know, and I was working at Sears in the automotive department, and I was making $170 a week, and I was like, there's got to be more to life than this, right? And when I was in high school, I had a high school counselor tell me, he says, there are people in this world who control a lot of the world who expect you to fail just because of how you look, Right? What are you going to do about that? He goes, you have to, you have to find your passion. You have to chase it. And since I love storytelling and I was really intrigued with radio, I went to uh, uh, Columbia School of Broadcasting in Houston. So I drive from Galveston to Houston once a week. And it was an 18 month course that I finished in nine. And I got my first radio job um, like 1982 in Wharton, Texas, on a little country AM daytime radio station. It was called Your Place in the Country, 1500 K-A-N-I, right? And then from there I went to Houston. And then from there I went to San Francisco. And from San Francisco I went to Detroit. From Detroit I went to St. Louis. And then I went to Dallas and I came back to St. Louis. And everywhere before I came to St. Louis the first time, everywhere I ever worked, I was there two years and I'd move on. Mm -hmm. So I figured a couple years in St. Louis couldn't be a bad thing, but I ended up being here like 26 years. Yeah. And and then I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, would you consider St. Louis home at this point? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love St. Louis. I love the people. The people are very warm and genuine, and uh, and I try for many years, most of my life, uh, and I only found out like maybe 20 years ago that I have clinical depression, right? And so for many years, I was one of these people that walked around very hostile, and mm. always angry. Yeah. Right. And then my program director at Magic, Chuck Atkins, he told me, he's the one who brought me to St. Louis. He pulled me in his office one time and he closed the door. He goes, I'm, I'm, I want to talk to you, not as your boss, but as your friend. He said, there's something wrong with you. I was like, what, is, what are we doing? What, something wrong with me? Something wrong with you? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, he goes it's not about that. He goes, there's some, he goes, you have a lot of talent. You have a lot of ability, but you can't get out of your own way because you keep starting these these altered salespeople don't want to work with you because you keep demanding your money when, it, you know, he goes, and it don't work that way. He says, you need to talk to somebody, right? So he gave me, the, we had an EAP program, employee assistance program. He gave me the number. I kept it in my wallet for about, I don't know, a month. And then meantime, it just seemed like everything seemed to spiral out of control. So I called the number and I went and saw a, uh, a therapist. And you go to this therapist like three times. And if he feels like, you have symptoms of depression, then he'll refer you to a psychiatrist because the psychiatrist can prescribe meds, right? So that was, you know, so I went the first time. And so when the session was over, 
I was like, so what do you think? He goes, oh, yeah, you're moving on. He goes, I knew that like 15 minutes in. So I went to the psychiatrist who didn't take health insurance. So it was like 90 bucks a pop Mm. for 30 minutes, right? And he prescribed me some medication, and it stayed, the pill bottle stayed in my pocket for about, I don't know, six weeks. And, uh, and things just kept getting worse and worse. So I started taking the medication and he said, told me when you take the medication, it's going to take 21 days for it to get into your system. And so three long weeks later, I felt like a cloud had lifted off of me and the, 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 uh, the change of life, the, 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 the weight of life came off of me and I was able to see things clearer and I was able to understand things better. And I remember the guy, my program director, we had a meeting about two months after that. And he says, we're thinking about having you take a DNA test because you're not the same person. He goes, and I mean that in a good way. You know, so him and I are great friends to this day. And um, it was a journey. And it still is a journey because I had to learn. Because at least for me, when, when I get sad, my lows are lower than I think for people who don't have depression. Right. You know, and so it takes me a little while longer to recoup. And it it I'm I know I'm very sensitive now cuz I like see a news story of something that happened to a child and I tear up. You know, and my father growing up, you know, back then, now there are you say there's no book on parenting. Yes there are. Yeah. But back then there were not, mm-hmm. right? And so he did the best he could and one of his things was boys don't cry. You don't show emotion. You don't let anybody see you weak. I lived most of my life like that. And when he died at 2010, I did, I didn't, I have, I've never cried wow. because that's what I was taught. So I don't cry. But I know, like, for my mom, who she married him when she was 15, because that's what they did back then. And he, when he died, she was 70. And so that was the only man in her life ever besides her dad. And so it helps her to talk about him. Because there were never really any bad memories, you know, and so and then and that helping her talk about him actually helped me, and I was named after him. So when we go to the to the cemetery to visit him, and to see my name yeah. on the on the on the on the gravestone on the headstone, only you know I'm junior is like it, when I first saw that it was like whoa <laughs> that's me, and then, then I had to realize that's not me because I got sad, you know, but it's, it wasn't me, it's him. So, Tony, you talked about uh, it took you three weeks to even take the medication or several. Do you think that was part of that reluctance was the way you were were raised? Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I was uh, always and I still do, but I I always shook like really bad. And so the doctors gave me some medication and I was taking these pills and my mom would give me one every day. And then my dad says, you don't need no medicine, man. You need to grow up. Right. And he didn't say it in a mean way. Like my father never told me that he loved me, but I knew that he did. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always knew that he did. But that's just something that he didn't do. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I, I realized that I wasn't going to be like him and I didn't want to be like him. And that was no shade towards him. I wanted to be a better version of him. Right. So the night before the, uh, my father's last week of his life, he was in the hospital the whole weekend. I was there and then I was going back on Saturday. So Friday night I told him. I said, you know, I love you. And he says, yeah. I said, you know, you're my hero. He goes, yeah. I said, okay. I said, I'll see you. And I left and he died the next day. Well, I, I was, I was on a plane 
coming back to St. Louis. And when my wife and my girls picked me up at the airport, they were crying. And I was like, what's going on? And my wife hugged me. And all I could hear her say was, dad died. But her father at the time had cancer. So I didn't know which father died, you know, your father, my father. I said, well, which one? She was like yours. I said, OK. But I had already made peace the night before mm-hmm. by telling him that I loved him. And, and there was, there was and it was, by saying peace, I just made peace. I meant I mean that I made peace with him leaving us because we never had a problem in our relationship. It was yeah. always it was always great. And then when he passed away, it became my goal to be the best son, brother, father, husband, uncle, friend, co-worker that I could possibly be. And I work towards that every day. And part of that, for me being in this business for almost 42 years, is to give back and encourage people. And when, you know, someone like you who takes on an endeavor of doing their own show, you know, make no mistake about it, that, that you know, there's a difference between getting your own show on some AM station that, you know, doesn't even, you know, bill a lot of money and getting your own show on a historic station like KMOX, that's a huge deal, mm. and it should be celebrated. So this is why I told you how happy I was for you because that's a big deal, mm, and, and and no one no one can ever take that from you, yeah. right? And you work with some amazing people. I've been on on the on Glover show, and you work with an amazing team, and and it's the chemistry is ridiculous, and and it was it was I remember the first time I was on, it was like I was so excited and. You know, I was like a kid in a candy store because I was like, this was because I'm a radio nerd. And that was (laughs) that was a huge deal for me. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I'm talking with Tony Scott from 96.3 R&B. So you are, I really appreciate how open and how vulnerable you are about your depression and about your story. Did, was, did that take a journey to get you to open up or did you just kind of immediately start sharing? When I, when those 21 days passed and that cloud lifted off of me and I realized that these medications to me in my eyes saved my life because uh, I always had, I always had thoughts of suicide. Uh, and it wasn't until maybe like five, 10 years ago that those thoughts pretty much stopped. But um, I realized that, you know, God put this on me so that I could help others. So I've always been very open about it on, on my radio show. And I've had people uh, stop me in the streets of St. Louis and, you know, I've had men in tears and, you know, I had a coworker who called me and she was going through something. And I told her, I says, you know, I said, you should talk to someone. I says, I got somebody. And uh, she said, I, I don't I don't have the money for that. I said, don't worry about that. 
So I called my therapist I was seeing at the time, and I told him about her. And I said, told her, her told him her name, and says he's gonna, you know, she's gonna call you and stuff. I says, now when she comes in to see you, don't charge her, charge me. Wow. And and uh, he called me back the next day. He goes, you know, that really stuck with me all day. He goes, I'm not gonna charge you or her. I'm just, I just want to help her. And and uh, so that's been my mission. To and and when I and and when I worked at Magic, and I was, you know, once I got better from depression with this medication and I talked about it on the air, I literally would have coworkers asking me about a path to that, Mm -hmm. to where I am. And for me, it started with the EAP program. So I would tell them about the EAP program and they were too, they didn't want people in their business. I'm like, but this is going to change your life. No, I don't want people. I said, okay. I said, what if I got the number for you? So I would go back to HR, and I would ask for the EAP number. And I should have, you know, that's back then before cell phones and all that. So I, w- I was like, I should have written it down because I could have, but I kept having to go back and ask. I had like five people over the course of some months ask me if I could get them the number to the EAP program. Because one, the first one told someone else, Tony got me this number, and it's really do- helping me a lot. And then they'd come to me and stuff. And then I've had, I've had like some of my male coworkers that worked in promotions and marketing and stuff would come to me in the studio and say, you got a second. And I'm like, sure, what's up? And they would, they would say, they would tell me that they're struggling and I would tell them, you know, there's help for you, but you got to be, you got, you got to be flexible. You got to be able to talk to someone, you know, and because one of the things about St. Louis that is not good is the racial polarity. There's, you know, it's there, it's just there. Right. Mm -hmm. And this guy, the guy told me, he goes, I won't tell no white man my problems. I'm like, so you want to tell somebody who may know you? You talking about talk, you're going to talk to a white man who you've never seen before, who doesn't know anything from you. I said that's probably the best thing. He may not know about your experience as a black man, but this town is so small, you're never going to see him anywhere. So I said, you want to get well, or you want to stand with your chest out like you're doing something? Because I'm not talking to no white man. I said that's the most ridiculous thing ever, right? And he looked at me, and he still had tears in his eyes. I said, what are you going to do? I said, you want help or not, right? And he took the help. And it and it, it changed his life. And and it's like, okay, well, you know, and, and people would tell me, the people that I've helped, they say, you know, I, don't, I could never thank you. I says, you thank me by helping someone else. Tony, it's really incredible to hear you talk like this because I'm hearing this empathy that you have, but it's kind of combined with that tough love that you learned from your father. And it's a it really, it like that. it's mm. a really amazing combination. Wow. It seems like it's like mobilizing people. Yeah, in a way, yeah, and and I still have like rough edges, a lot of rough edges, and my wife has been amazing because she's never. My wife is very spiritual, and she she but she's never pushed that on me, and she's never, and she's been very patient with me, and she's always been, always had my back on things because, you know, one one of the side effects, if I can be even more candid, of taking depending on which medications you take is you lose your libido right mm-hmm. and you know i told my wife you know and she says that doesn't even matter she goes you got to get well and that meant a lot yeah you know and um i never forgot that and uh you know and it's so funny because when, when we lived here for 26 years 
it was always about me building this radio career in St. Louis, getting out, meeting people, meeting clients, do endorsements, make as much money as you can so that I could provide for them, right? And I went to Dallas and uh, came back to St. Louis. And when we, come, when we came back, we were at that Friday's. They used to be over there on Olive where they're building that Chick-fil-A, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a Saturday. We got back. It was Saturday night. And we had just uh, – we just uh, – we were we might have been in St. Louis like maybe an hour and a half, and we're at this at this Friday's, and I told her I says, you know, I want to do something different this time in St. Louis, and she looked at me. I says, no, I said, no, I said, it was about me and building my career, but now I want it to be about you, right? Because you did so much for me, and I want to, I want it to be about you and your real estate career and whatever, whatever you know, I can do. I'm saying I'm making way less money. Right. But whatever I can do, I want to do so you can build your career. I mean, I mean, I said, and and I'm talking about big things, little things. You want to get your nails done every week. Fine. Because you go show clients, you can't have jacked up nails. I mean, you don't think about stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but it's important. Right. Everything matters. Presentation is everything. Mm -hmm. So that's been my my goal uh, to do that. And she has a favorite store that used to be here in St. Louis, a women's clothing store, but they closed. And there's one in Kansas City. And so for our anniversary last year, we went to Kansas City for a couple of days with the goal. We're going to see a, a Kansas City Royal game. I don't know why, because they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but but we went to Versona and she had all these clothes and everything that she had. She goes, well, she goes, how much can I spend? I said, well, how much is all that? And she the lady rang it up. She was like, I don't know, four or five hundred dollars or something. I said, that's fine. Is, this, is that all you want? And she looked at me and she's like. Are you serious? I'm like, you want this or not, man? I mean, that, and that's where the rough edges come out. on. Yeah. You want this or not, man? Because, I mean, we're here for you, and you want to do this or not. And so she's just like, yeah, okay. So so I said, bag it up, lady, and let's get this done because I'm hungry. <laughs> so I'm talking with Tony Scott from 96.3 R&B on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. So I started doing voiceover work yeah. on the side, and so I always keep money in a separate account that's always available when we need it. But, and she always says, well, how much money do you have? And I said, you don't need to know that. What do you need? <laughs> you <laughs> it's know? a need-to-know basis. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can have it, but then, well, how much of it do you need, right? So it's always kind of like a fun thing with us. But, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a lousy husband because if I don't cook. And on the night she don't feel like cooking, I say, well, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. I'm not cooking and you don't want to cook. And I'm saying you have to cook. We're going to go somewhere and eat. What do you want? Uh, that doesn't sound like a lousy husband to me. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal. So let's talk about your voiceover business because okay. you've been extremely s- successful at this. I know you do voiceovers for a YouTube channel. I do. It's called Nutty History, and I've been narrating their videos for about almost four years now. Wow. Which is an interesting thing because their videos uh somewhere between 10, 15 minutes most of the time. And they're... Uh, I voice them here in St. Louis, and the guy who actually writes the scripts that I read is in India. And the guy who actually puts the whole video together with effects, I mean, when you, what you see on YouTube, the guy who does that, he's in Croatia. Wow. And the project manager is in L.A., and the guy that owns it is in Idaho. And so we have, like, a, this kind of international thing going here. So we never have meetings because we're such in different time zones, but we do a lot of stuff on Slack. Hey, can you recut this line? Or, you know, can you do something? Can you record this tonight? Because I really need it back tonight and stuff like that. So we do that. And uh, they've taken very good care of me. 
and uh, they're my biggest client. Uh, and and uh, so I, I try to accommodate them whenever I can, but sometimes, you know, there's things that, you know, got to do and something else going on or I have a vacation and stuff, and, and uh, so that plays into it. But they're very patient with me, and they've been very good. They've sent me equipment. They paid for it. My, my laptop went out <laughs> about five months ago. And it was like a Monday. And so I called the guy, the project manager. I said, hey, man, my, my laptop's out. I said, I, I can get another one on Friday. And uh, he goes, okay. He goes, okay. And he calls me back like in about four hours. He calls me back and he says, hey, man, we can't wait. He goes, go go find a laptop and send, and tell us how much it is and we're going to send you the money. Very nice. Who does that? <laughs> right. Like, who does that, right? Well, if you need Tony Scott to cut your scripts. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even go that far, but who does that, right? <laughs> and so I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah, the money's there. So I was like, okay. And so they, they, I found one, found a laptop, and he says, well, how much is it? And I said, uh, it's about uh, 680 or something. And he says, he says, 700? I'm like, yeah. He says, that include tax? I'm like, yeah. It didn't include tax, but, you know, you're going to pay $680 for a laptop and give it to me. Mm-hmm. I'll pay the tax. <laughs> right. right. So he, he uh, they, they uh, Venmoed the money to me. And we went to the store and bought the laptop and plugged it in and updated it. And then I was back in business like three hours later and the script was waiting on me and I went to work. So, you know. So it, how do you when you get a script, how do you approach it? Do you approach it like an actor almost like let me get into. Yeah, the there's a lot of space. acting in it. Sometimes yeah. uh, you want to say things a certain way and, you know, you want to uh, like I get the script and I, because the history stuff is tends to be a lot of stuff that happened like in Europe, in the Roman Empire or in India, things like that. So I have to go do pronunciations and do the best I can mm-hmm. with that. So that takes a while. And then once I do that, then I read the script like twice. I read it once to myself, and then I read it out loud. And then I record it. And for a 10, 12-minute script, it takes me like 20 minutes. And so I end up editing like eight minutes out. Mistakes and things that, you know, tripping over words, stuff like that. So, and then once I do that and edit it, then each each section has a title. And so I read the title, and they wanted the title, me reading the title to be a little different. So I go, you know, the Ottoman Empire, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. And and and, and they like that, so I, I do that. And then I ha- there's a video component where I read a few sentences and then they cut back to the video, then they come back to me and stuff. So I have to do that part. So I have a walk-in closet that was my vocal booth. But when we start, I didn't start out doing the video part, but when we do the video part, I put a green screen in there that I had and they sent me lights and I record in there the video part and do it in there. And then when we started, you know, when you do voiceover work, your mic tends to be like right where your mic is right, right mm-hmm. in front of your mouth and six inches away or so. But, in a video shot, the mic has to be out of the shot. And so it would sound different. And he was like, well, how can we match that up? I said, we can use a shotgun mic. That might be better. And he said, well, how much are those? I said, depends on your budget. He goes, well, I want the best. I said, well, best is about a grand. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, okay, I don't want the best. <laughs> so we did some research and stuff, and I found one for like 250 bucks. And he sent me, we're texting each other, and I sent him the link. And he says, are you sure this will be the one? I said, yeah. He says, you'll have it in three days. Three days later, I had, he bought me a brand new mic, and I've been using that mic ever since. And uh, but it's 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 been, and I've learned a lot about history. Oh, I'm sure. You know, but it's it's been 
a work in progress uh, for me because I'm always trying to get better. And so I'll, I'll uh, take a class on, on narration, mm. you know, and I'll watch like Dateline. Keith Morrison is amazing. He is. You know, he's amazing. And I take notes about how he emphasizes certain words and stuff like that. So, so I'm not watching for the plot. My wife is watching the plot. <laughs> I'm listening for him, right? <laughs> so even when we when we take trips, we listen to Dateline, and we always skip the ones, and the other ones are great too, but we always go to the Keith Morrison ones because right. he's just a great storyteller, you know? So, And I didn't even know he was Matthew Perry's stepdad. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're learning something new on the Rachel Zimmerman Show. Guys, you're listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show, and I'm talking to Tony Scott from 96.3 R&B. So, so you just mentioned you're always trying to get better, and that is definitely a vibe that I, I pick up from you. You are taking these narration classes. You have your voiceover business. You're on 96.3 R&B, and you're a mental health advocate. How do you balance all of that? Uh, because that sounds like a lot. It, it is a lot, but I spend a lot of time doing nothing. And it drives my wife crazy, but I'm I'm fine doing nothing. Do you mean you procrastinate? I do because because you know the mental health thing is still there, right? And so there are times where I'm paralyzed by what's going on in my life at that particular moment, and sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's my own emotional thing. Sometimes it's stuff that goes on here at the radio station and because I take everything very personal and I, I, uh, I become I become emotionally paralyzed where I really can't do anything. So I just have to stop. Watch TV, uh, maybe take a nap, uh, but I'm happy. I'm happy doing nothing like, you know, like last weekend I got home. I get off the air at seven. I got home about seven twenty and didn't go outside until Monday. Mm. Sometimes you need stuff like that. And I'm that. fine with that. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, you know, but uh, my wife does say, so you, you, you need to get some sunlight that's going to give you, that's going to help you heal. So you need to, like, at least stand outside on the back deck or something for a while. And, you know, so I'll do that sometimes. But, you know, it's, 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 I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm extremely flawed. And I realize that. But I try and help where I can, and I try to do the best I can. And it, it it is and coming from like before I went on medication for depression, it was so hard to be nasty to people. It is so much easier to be nice to people. You know, there's so much easier to show grace, right? And I've learned that in my years of living, especially like the last twenty years, that you know, being mean and angry and hostile and and just with a chip on your shoulder, that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's exhausting, right? And being nice to people is not exhausting because I think that's what this would you know God wants us to love each other. So I I go with that and 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 it it it, it helps a lot, you know. And I try and be extremely patient. I, two of my daughters live in Los Angeles. They don't live together because grown women can't live together. <laughs> uh, one is a professional dancer. One is an art director, and. They live 20 minutes away from each other. And I'm always upset because I was like, I don't understand how you guys live 20 minutes and y'all don't see each other except for once a month. I said, what is that? Well, we're busy. So you're never too busy for your family. Mm. Right. And, and you know, I, I raise all kinds of noise about that. And so when they are together, I'm so and I'm so happy that I actually will buy them dinner. And I'll, I'll, I'll cash app them like 100 bucks to go have a meal and 
you know, and they probably go to some places that don't cost them like $25 between the two, <laughs> and they probably split the difference and all that. But I don't care. Y'all are together. And yeah. that makes me happy. When they're together, I'm happy, right? And, and, uh, and what I, you know, I know is like when they come home for the holidays, when they, the day that they leave, I'm very sad. But I know they have to leave, yeah. right? They have to live their life. And, but I am very sad. And, you know, like I said, when I'm sad, it tends to be sadder than, you know, so it's, it's like a whole thing. And, and, uh, but I get through it and, uh, and, you know, I'm happy where they are in their life. They're happy. I'm happy. And if I can help them in any way, I believe that my, my dad was, I got it from my dad that my obligation to them is to take care of them until they can take care of themselves. Right. So if they need something, even now, maybe, you know, you overspent and I, I, out of your budget and now you need help, call me. Mm-hmm. If I got it, you got it, right? So, and I don't judge. I don't ask for it back because I think when you give your family, I think you really wouldn't even give anybody money. You don't expect to get it back, right? It's just one of those things, right? And But me, I'm different because, you know, when I was unemployed and stuff and, and uh, my best friend, uh, I was in a real jam. Right. And he called me and he said, we were talking and said, he goes, what's wrong? I said, nothing. What's going on? He goes, what's wrong? I said, nothing. He goes, come on, man. What's wrong? I said, there's nothing wrong. What are you talking about? He goes, how much? I'm like, what? What are you talking? He goes, how much do you need? I'm like, I said, about 800. And he's like, hold on a second. And he says, I just cashed after you like $900. He said, I said, dude, I don't even know when I can pay you back. He goes, I don't want the money back. Mm. He goes, do you understand what you did for me when I lived in St. Louis? He said, you fed me like sometimes four or five times a week. You would buy me lunch and dinner and stuff like that. He goes, this is my way of of, uh, you help me. So let me help you. He goes, we're best friends. He goes, I don't want the money back, you know, and and, but in my mind, even at this moment, one day I'm going to pay him back. Right. It's interesting. It's like you extend so much empathy and so much generosity to other people, but it's like, yeah, you're like, I, but I've got to pay him back. Because I don't think, and this is where I am in my spiritual journey, is like God forgives us every day. So every day is a new day. But, and when I pray every day, I ask for his forgiveness and his grace and mercy. But I also re- realized that a lot of stuff that I did when I was a kid my dad used to always say there's a price to pay for everything. Maybe not not at that moment, but at some point you're going to have to pay the price, you know, good or bad. Um, and so I think that on some level, you know, because I always wonder, am I ever going to be a homeowner again? Am I ever going to be able to live comfortably again, like really comfortably like I used to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my in my mind... I say probably not because it's time to pay for what you did, right? And my wife keeps telling me it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. you know. But in, but but my father said there's a price to pay for everything, you know. And it's it's one of those things where I, I, I it torments me because, you know, I I, I pray and, and, you know, for my children and my family and, and everything, and then I pray for me and, and you know, I don't want to be like filthy rich. I just want to be comfortable again, you know, because I, as I near retirement age, you know, I, when I retire, I, I want to retire and I want to do, I'll keep doing voice work because I love doing that. Uh, but I just think that 
that's probably not going to happen because I have to pay this price mm. for my sins. And my wife keeps saying, yeah, don't work that way. And she goes, you're being too hard on yourself. She says, and, and I said, yeah, but I don't, I don't have any way out of that. She goes, you have to just believe that you've been forgiven. I'm like, I don't know, man. I said, because, you know. And she said, you know, I've been with my wife. She was 21. She's uh, 59 in three weeks. She'll kill me for telling her age. <laughs> but but I've never told her, and I won't tell her. Because she'll say, well, what is it that you did? I'm like, nah. That no one gets access to that. Mm. That's just something I got to live with. So, and she's like, "But it's over, and it's been over." She, I said, "Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not putting that in the universe." So I keep it to myself. But you know, and and but so I try and focus on the great things about life and the great things about what I do. What I what I do. I have to. I remind myself, Tony, you're on the radio talking to people every day. And you're successful at it. You've been a professional in this industry for 42 years. People can't take that away from you. Do I still get nervous walking from the parking lot into the radio station? Absolutely. That's what drives me. Do I strive for the perfect show every day? Yes. Do I have a perfect show every day? I've never had a perfect show. But you keep striving for it, right? And that's what I do. And it's not easy. And it's challenging. But I love challenges. And... I'm appreciative of my career because I've been without it. Tony, we're out of time, but I really appreciate this interview. I am inspired by you, and I can't thank you enough for coming on my show. Well, I feel uh, it was my pleasure to be here. When you asked me, I was, I was like, honored, and I know I probably talked more than I should have. No, not at all. But, you know, uh, if you have me back, I'll be quieter than you can talk. <laughs> I would love to <laughs> have you I'll, back. I'll interview you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, Tony. All right. Guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to catch Tony on 96.3 R&B and check out his YouTube channel, Nutty History. Uh, another big thanks to Tony for coming on today. I really, really appreciated his vulnerability and how candid he was. I think we need more conversations like this. But thanks for listening, guys. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.